Okay, my name is Peter and I'm from the planet of Wow. <laughs> from the constellation of Core <laughs> In the star system of Moon. <laughs> Etc. This is gonna go well. <sighs> Hi, this is Mark, and welcome to episode 10. Yes, we made it to double figures Woo. of Nidology. And my special guest for this episode... As in special. <laughs> in every way. Every last way. Is Peter Weber. Hello. Welcome, Peter. Hello, Mark, and hello, strange people listening to this who I'll never ever meet. <laughs> Hi. I've known Peter for quite a few years. He's... Um, how, how would you describe yourself, Peter? <sighs> Male, six foot... Eight descendant. <laughs> a mystery wrapped in an enigma. Wrapped, wrapped, wrapped in a, in a, I don't know, a, a cloud of, a fog of confusion. <laughs> that'll be, that'll be me. The thing we have in common is that we're both quite nerdy and obsessive. I think we're rampantly agree? nerdy. Yeah. yeah. Or oh, rampant, yes. I think we're rampantly nerdy. Good. Let's be proud of it. We're, we're nerds. Yes. We're fools. The programme's called Nerdology, so they probably get a bit yeah. of a hint from that. Yeah. Goes with the territory. So we figured we'd talk about sort of the obsessive side of being a nerd mm. and the kind of stuff we're into and... And the terrible psychology of it all. Yes. <laughs> Where did we go wrong, Mark? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, as an example, this month, it's taken me ages to kind of catch up with it, so I'm already kind of behind the curve because everyone's now raving about Series 3. Uh, but I've been watching Series 2 of The Walking Dead, mm. which... I recorded it, aired on Channel 5 because we don't have Sky. Uh, I think it's back in June or July. And it's just kind of sat on our hard drive, taking up space. And eventually I just kind of decided it's probably a good idea to start shifting some stuff off. So I sat down and watched a couple of episodes. Didn't really grab me straight away. Um, but then after a few more, I just got really hooked on it and ended up having this massive session of just sitting and watching like half a dozen episodes all in one go. So much that you feel like you're there, basically. Pretty much. Kind of Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Walking Dead. Oh, it's one of those shows, I love zombies, zombie films, mm -hmm. and I really wanted it to be good, and it kind of is good. Mm. I mean, you watch it, most of it is good. We, we're picky, aren't we, as nerds? It's like we, most people yeah. just watch Doctor Who. We don't. Hmm. Well, we do, but we don't. We, we, <laughs> we scrutinise it in our tiny rat brains and we pick it apart, that's what we do. Hmm. And yeah, Walking Dead. Um, I want to love it, but there's a part. The nerd part of me will watch things on a slightly hypercritical level. Mm. The episode. This is the classic episode of Walking Dead when the zombies in the well. Yes. Did you did you think? Did, what were your thoughts about that episode? That bit, the zombie in the well. I felt slightly sorry for the Asian guy because he just got volunteered to go down there and try and hoik him out. But why? As live bait. Why did he? The thing is, is that right? They find a zombie in a well, yeah. in an enclosed area. A bloater. How it got there, we don't know. Because he fell through the um, rotten wood on the top, didn't he? Did he? Yeah. That wasn't explained. No, 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 no. I mean, actually, how did he get <laughs> down the well in the first... How did he get to the well? <laughs> he was just wandering around, wasn't he? he was, that doesn't make sense. It's an enclosed <laughs> area. They've got sheep fences and stuff. And he's well, it didn't stop that guy getting killed at the end of the series, did it? What, what guy? Dale. Oh yeah, the old, the old in the most geezer. unbelievable way. Suddenly the zombie, right, rears up from nowhere, 
they all walk towards this half-eaten cow. Yeah. And there's, in his eye line, there's nothing untoward. There's no zombie. Then he he gets really close. And then yeah. A zombie springs up behind him and just launches itself. It's a ninja him. zombie. It's a rubbish zombie. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a poor continuity zombie. It's badly written zombie. Anyway, the zombie in the well. Right? Yes. The reason why they send the... Uh, what's his name? Is it? No, no. What was it? I can't remember his name. I can't remember now. It's like Greg or Colin or something like that. Anyway, yeah, it's, uh, yeah we'll call him Colin. Colin, <laughs> right? What yeah. they do is they want to bring out this zombie that's in the well mm. because it might infect their water. Yes. There's a zombie with open pustules, open <laughs> legs, guts hanging out. Yeah. And they think, let's not break the zombie when we bring him out. Let's bring him out complete because otherwise he might contaminate the water that he's probably already contaminated anyway. Mm. Who's going to drink from that well? Even if they brought the zombie out completely, you're not going to go, well, we'll have a go. You know, we'll, we'll have a thimble just to see if it does turn into <laughs> a zombie. Who's going to risk it? You're going to go to another well, aren't you? Because you have other wells, apparently. Yes, they do. What a waste of time. Mm. Oh, it was in the end, because they ended up shooting him and it, split up it everywhere, all splattered yeah, everywhere yeah. and went down the well again. And they decided, well, we're definitely not going to drink that now. Mm. We're definitely not. Before, mm. we might have had a quick sip just to see if it did turn us slightly <laughs> into a zombie because we're going to risk it you know but now no not with all the <laughs> entrails guts and gore mm. in there I think a lot oh. of people had a bit of an issue with the amount of time they spent on the farm because yeah. of the first series they thought it was going to be like another sort of urban yeah but I quite liked it I thought it was a change of pace it um, was a nice idea but I've, I've not read, I've not read the comic books but a friend, right. another friend has and he was saying how in the comic books they're only on the farm for a very short amount of time. Right. Um, so what they did with this series was they dragged out the, mm. the they basically put a load of stuff in. Yeah. But the problem is is that it doesn't actually make sense when you t- when you assume that they've been there for months presumably. Mm. Uh, we don't know how long because it's very no. sketchy about. Yeah, but it's definitely a long time. Mm-hmm. But long enough for them not to have made any escape plan. Long enough for them not to shore up any defenses. You know, long enough. For, you know, it, and it's just, it just, it doesn't quite. You know, they've been there for so long, and it's, it's very late in the day when they decide to get taken in by the rest of the mm. family. But that last episode, that was a problem episode as well, because that was, that was about three episodes packed into one episode. Yeah. It was too much happening. Um, all the non-speaking family characters, they died, which was <laughs> so obvious. It was too obvious. It was like the kids who've never spoken before. It's like the red shirts in Star Trek. Yeah, they were the red shirts yeah. in Star Trek. And um, and the RV, you know, the door happens to be unlocked mm-hmm. and they all stumble in, you know, and it's like, oh, for crying out loud. And, um, and also, dramatically, it was rubbish as well because I don't know if you remember the scene where the zombies all start piling against a wooden fence. Yeah. And... What they should have had is that wooden fence in front of everyone else so they could see the gradual builder. Yeah. And it would have been quite good dramatically. Mm-hmm. But that but that happens away from the house. Yeah. So it's just one of those things that dramatically it was poor. It just yeah. didn't really. And then they all start marching. All the zombies start marching on the house, which is, you know, you'd think would be quite tense. Mm-hmm. But suddenly they're everywhere. They're, they're all walking in one direction. Yeah. But what happens is some of them break through and then they start, then they decide to take on the zombies by shooting at them. Mm-hmm. They can already see there's more than ten zombies there. There's quite a lot of zombies. But then one extra zombie presumably comes along and they go, there's 101 now. There's too many of <laughs> now them. Now it's time to panic. Now it's time. There's, that, there's three at the back there. Oh, <laughs> damn. Let's get out of here. Um, well, of course, they find out in that episode or at the tail end of the previous one that it's not just a case of being bitten by a zombie now. You can yeah. effectively be a zombie just by dying. It's really confused. They haven't. The logic of it isn't quite... 
there's loads of logical implausibilities with it. Like when, like as I was saying about all the zombies coming one direction towards the farmhouse. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, it cuts to them being everywhere. They're behind the farmhouse, like you know, quite quickly. Mm. They they walk quite slowly, but they're suddenly everywhere around the back of them. Yeah. So there's no sense of continuity. It's all a bit, you know, it's as if there's like bits that they've. They've been hacked out of the finished episode, mm. which would have explained the fact they probably all sat around playing tiddlywinks while the few of the zombies shuffled <laughs> around the back and thought, "We'll get them now." Um, yeah, so it's, it's it's you want it to be, it should be. It's so simple. It's just zombies. Mm. It's just dead people shuffling along that can kill you. It's a very simple thing, and somehow they've they they, they, they do manage to stuff it up occasionally. Mm. It's kind of frustrating because they've got the budget there. Yeah, you know the zombies look great. You know when they're not impl- doing implausible things like sneaking up on Dale. <laughs> oh. And it, it's a nice... You want it to work so desperately, and it's it's kind of almost there. But Did you want Carl to get his comeuppance? Um, do, do, do. Which one's Carl? The annoying little child. Oh, I hated him. Yeah. Kid actor. I think that's the idea, though, isn't it? I don't know. I'd that'd be Carl. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, but you're supposed to like these kids. You're supposed to care when something happens to them. And to be honest, you know, I would have picked him up, thrown him into a nest of zombies. <laughs> I would have done that. You know, technically that's abuse, but it's apocalyptic, so you can do anything. You know, you can Harsh kill, but kill, kill, kill your friends. You can do that in a yeah. post-apocalyptic thing. You know, it's all bets are off. Mm. Do what you like. <laughs> you know, when I was young, I used to dream of the earth being invaded by aliens. But I think the older you become, you kind of it veer uh, towards more a zombie apocalypse. Well, it's your own mortality sort of sinking in, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And I think when you're a kid, it's aliens. When you're older, it's zombies. Hmm. That probably says a lot about me. <laughs> so are you looking forward to series three? Um, yes and no. I mean, what what's happened with this series is, is it mirrors what happened with Survivors, hmm. the 70s BBC show, the Terry Nation thing, hmm. where the first series was them all on the road and it was all a bit gritty and a bit harsh. Everyone got very excited. And then in the second series... They all decamped effectively to a farm because all these survivors banded together mm-hmm. as a community and they examined really what it's like to live together and to try to relearn all these forgotten skills. And that's effectively what Walking Dead done in the second series. Yeah. And um, so there's definitely parallels with survivors there. And I really enjoy that element of it because I think that's what would naturally happen. Yeah. You can run for a while, but there comes a point when you'll think, I'm knackered. <laughs> I want to put down some roots. I want my own bed. Yeah. That's kind of how people function. You, yeah. you know, it, you can't carry on roaming forever. No. At some point, you're going to try and, if there's enough of you, pick up a pick up a lump of wood and go. We're going to stay and fight, <laughs> and that's what happens. And um, so there is a naturalism yeah. to Walking Dead, even though I kind of think it would be nice if they'd rewritten all the scripts entirely. Mm. I still think the general thrust of it being on the farm, I don't have an issue with that. No. It's just the way it's. The, 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 the way it's cat handedly handled, the the pacing of the series as a whole, yeah, and, and the and the way they discuss things, it's like t- towards the end of the season they talk about you know, um, or they start to broach the subject of living together and existing mm. in the same house. Presumably, that would have taken into account as well, sort of keeping watch, which, which is what they do. They start yeah. to keep watch um, on the water towers and stuff, which they never really did before. It, well, they were stuck on this yeah. little hill or something, weren't they? Away from you've got the girl with the um, the sniper rifle who does a great job of killing off the zombies, and all she does is shoot one of her fellow human yeah. survivors. Yeah, that was bless that her, was, bless her, bless her. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also the other thing with um, Walking Dead within the farm is that you don't get an idea of sort of where things are. Mm. Like 
you know, there are quite clearly a lot of zombies around, mm. um, but there's no sense of how come they're so protected. Yeah. And all you do see, you do, you do see these flimsy little wire fences, yeah. which, you know, there's no sense of how big this area is, mm. whether there's a natural rock face that's yeah. protecting three quarters of the farm. Well, they've got that sort of boggy area, haven't they, where they keep on finding these zombies where they've got sort of trapped, Trap. but, but it's not very you can't clear. imagine that's going to be all the no. way around, can you? When so, you mentioned um, Survivors, mm. what I thought would be quite nice before we did this show, um, I kind of put out on Twitter and Facebook if anyone wanted to sort of come in with their sort of experiences of their own nerdiness and their own sort of obsessive nature. Um, we've had some feedback on Facebook from J.R. Southall. Have you heard of him? Never. No. No, he's an enigma. Yeah. Yeah. Not even though he is anyway to be in the but yes. Yeah, he's written and he says that by nerdy, I take it you mean obsessive and compulsive. Well, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Survivors, the TV series. I bought the original independent box set DVD releases uh, and then re bought them all again, having bought them once upon a time way back when on video cassette too. I think he bought them twice, effectively. I think he was the same, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I think he was uh, hoping for some sort of uh, remastering effort. Um. So I used to own an original copy of Terry Nation's novel too from back in the 70s, but lost it when I lent it to someone who moved away without ever having given it back. That's a bit evil, isn't it? He's told me that before. Yeah. I do know him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, you can tell that cuts deep. It, it does, doesn't it? He says, I subsequently discovered yeah. to my horror how much the book was changing hands for on eBay, but fortunately, when the TV series was revived, in brackets, rather badly, but I have the DVDs too, um, the book was reissued and I picked up a copy immediately. Prices then came down on eBay, and I spent another tenner buying a second copy of the 70s version of the book. See, That's I, obsessive. I once lent someone an X-Files book, one of those novels that came out, Oh yeah, and never got it back, mm. and I didn't give a shit. <laughs> um, maybe that says more about X-Files than it does about survival. Possibly, but, possibly. Yeah, I, life's too short, I don't care. I mean, JR is quite an obsessive chap. He's the only person I know who's actually sat down and uh, watched... Um, oh, what's the episode that they from series seven of Doctor Who, John Pertwee's first series, just come out on DVD now. Oh, blimey, Ambassadors of Death. Yes, he's actually sat down with a stopwatch and timed how much of it was in colour and how much of it was in black and white because he, he wanted to know the percentage. He, he's done that. He has done that. Yeah, he's done that. Yeah. Wow, you know, he's. He makes us look like amateurs, really. Yeah, I'm a child. Mm. I'm a child in the world. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, um, they did revive it, and I wanted it to be good, but I don't think it really lived up to the original. We're talking about survivors, aren't yeah. we? Yeah, it's it's well for a start. Back in the day, seventies television, and this is where Walking Dead perhaps might have benefited if it was made years ago. Mm. Was that there's more screen time? Things went on for years, you know. Yeah. Things went on a lot longer. There was more chance. If there was a rubbish episode, you'd forgive it because it's like, well, there'll be another one on that's probably, mm. you know. And also as well, they, every episode back in the day seemed to be of Survivors or Blake Seven or whatever mm. seemed to have a different tone to it because they had different produ- production crews yeah. on these things. So there's a sense of variety, not just in the story. But in how it's made, yeah. and guest stars, and all mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. Um, well, their one big mistake was not having Talfer and Thomas in the in the remake. Uh, see, I think he's overrated. <sighs> I, I, right, get out. I, I've never been a fan of Talfer and Thomas. It's just, what? He's 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 bloody ugly. 
is. That's and part of the appeal. And he's he's so generic, and he always looks very sweaty and horrible. And you know, it's I don't know. I've never been a Alfred Thomas fan. I know some people. Oh, you let me he's down. He's not Cyril Shapps. Well, who is? Cyril Shapps. Oh yeah. <laughs> he walked into that one. <laughs> um, but yeah. Mm. Um, so yeah, Walking Dead. Very mm. much enjoying it. Yeah. But the reason why I don't like it, or I'm critical of it, I should say. Mm. Isn't isn't what it's trying to do, but how it does it really? Mm. It's more to do in the execution more than anything else. So, do you watch much American TV, or you? No, because they last for too long. I I haven't got the commitment. It's like a commitment. It's like a relationship. Mm. You have to sort of. It's not just you can't just watch the pilot. No, no, you can't go out <laughs> on that first date. You've got to carry on going back and sort of paying attention late into the small hours and mm. listening to what it has to say. Did you watch um, the last series of Torchwood? I haven't watched. I've watched so little of Torchwood. Oh. You had a lucky escape, I, my friend. The only one I've... I, I watched the first four episodes when it started up to... I, I loved Cyberwoman, whatever it was called. Oh, yeah? That was fun. Because mm-hmm. it was fun. Because yeah. it was stupid. Yeah. You know, it wasn't pretentious. It wasn't trying to be adult. No. It, well, it was, but, it, <laughs> but it, it, it went so far. It went round in a big circle yeah. and, and then became stupid. Um, well, I had a quite attractive lady in a fairly revealing outfit with handlebars on her head, which I thought was... To, to hold on to. Yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, I'm gonna get slapped by uh, my uh, wife in a minute. <laughs> but yeah, I did watch um, Children of Earth. I really liked Children really of Earth. Really liked it. And yeah. The weakest bit was the Torchwood bits. Yeah. I re- it was, as a drama in its own right, if you took away the Torchwood bits, yeah. it would have been the best drama of the last. Mm, but Miracle Day minutes. was just painful. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sums up what you were saying about American TV. It was ten episodes, and they could have easily done it in five, mm. and it just stretched it out. And it was just, oh. Hard going. I I sat through every single episode because I wanted it to be good, but yeah. it just. Well, it, it, the thing is, is that TV series nowadays use emotional content as padding, mm-hmm. which you never really used to get. Survivors is a good, is a good example. Yes, it was. You had relationships, mm-hmm. but what they would often do is pad it out with um, plot. Yeah, and um, so you'd have two separate subplots going off. Yeah, then. you'd have subplots. You know, there was time for that, and they weren't yeah. necessarily connected. It wasn't. It wasn't done in a very technical. This must mean something in the context of that. They yeah. Adhere to formula in quite the way mm. that television does now. Mm. Nowadays, they've got to have balances of everything to try to appeal to as many people as possible. So you've got to have a demographic. We've got to say we must appeal to women. So we're mm. going to have loads of so television by plots. committee. Yeah, and it's kind of patronising because it, because what it tries to do is say that well, kids must like that kind of thing. Mm. So we're going to have that kind of thing. They like references to boy bands, so yeah. we're gonna, you know, we're gonna. If you're try a white middle-aged woman, kids. you can only like this type of program. Or, yeah, yeah. You know. I mean, the classic example. I was, I was watching. I watched the Equiston ones fairly recently and got as far as episode three or something like that. Mm. And there's one moment where Rose says, "Oh, I saw that on the program. I saw that on News Round Extra." This is Doctor Who. Of this course. is Doctor yeah, Who yeah. now. Um, we will dance around a lot on, <laughs> on verbal hot coals, but yeah. Rose goes. I saw that on News Round Extra, mm. which is a real. It's like it's like a, a dad at a party getting down with the kids and saying, <laughs> "Oh, I've heard that, but Mr. Buster Rhymes or whatever it is," <laughs> and, and and you know doing the hand gesture. Yeah. It's a bit like that. And the way that Rose says News Round Extra, most kids mm. would just say News Round. Yeah. But but the fact it's News Round Extra, it's an adult trying to aim yeah. it at the kids and to yeah. try and make it to make a kid goes, "I know what News Round Extra is. <laughs> That's speaking to me." <laughs> And I think it's patronising because mm. what that's doing is it's sort of saying we're going to aim it at kids and we're going to we're going to make sure that w- we do these things to make it child friendly. Whereas, you know, when I was a kid, I watched things like Doctor Who because mm. they weren't 
aiming at, at, at me. They were mm. aiming it for this nebulous pe- group of people who happened to like escapist television of that kind. Yeah. It was a lot more, um, you know, you can come along for the ride if you like I think it. it was uh, and an great. institution, wasn't it? It was something that had been around for so long when we were kids that yeah. you just kind of, it was something everyone watched. Exactly. And it was, it was just there. And, 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 and you joined it. It didn't, it didn't pander to you, mm. but you watched it enough to then go, I like that and I'll watch yeah. it. And that's how you get on board with these things. Mm. The problem with television is like the problem I have with the, the very early sort of return Doctor Who's and a lot of other series actually is they do try to sort of be tokenistic or they do try to aim it for everybody yeah. but then water it all down so you don't quite quite get the horror and suspense you might like mm. because of the kiddos yeah. but at the same time you don't get the sort of um, you know it, it's it's not purely for kids because they've got to have a certain amount of adult yeah. stuff because it's an adult show as well yeah. so they're trying to straddle all these things well, what they should just be doing is writing something in and of itself that's a complete product mm. that's obviously I mean when you think about it, what actually makes this is a debate as well. What actually makes something adult? Yeah. For me, it's just sex and, and swearing, really. Mm. I mean, mm. that's that's what really is. That's the difference between making something for kids and adults. Yeah. Because a kid can watch something that's quite intelligent, mm. finding it doesn't have swear words and boobs. That I remember really Christopher Eccleston be... saying at the time that he took on the role that he wanted to do something for kids because he'd never done any kids' TV before. Yeah. And he said he felt it was really important that you should make TV for kids in exactly the same way as you do for adults. Yeah. Because... They shouldn't be talked down to or patronised. They're intelligent enough to pick up on plot points and things like that. Exactly. And also, it means that the kid has to work with something to uh, to appreciate. They might not get everything. It's like when I when yeah. I watched the McCoy ones when I was a lad, mm. um, I I didn't understand everything that was going on, but but you kind of work with it and yeah. you get especially Ghostlight. Ghostlight. <laughs> the thing is, I I find Ghostlight absolutely fine. I love it. I, I understand it as well. Yeah. It, that makes more sense to me than Battlefield because mm. Battlefield makes less sense to me because the whole knights but they're from the past but they're from another dimension mm. um but they're all wearing armor but they can fly in space yeah. and they've got laser beams and that's more confusing mm. can i say mind fuck you just did good <laughs> <laughs> that's how you get by I think, these things, isn't it? can i say this can i say that um but yeah battlefield was more confusing mm. because that made less sense the world it was trying to convey was far more abstract than something like ghostlight which is effectively a house um, full of weird people who are evolving and it's dealing mm. with evolution. Yeah. And, um, you know, each, each it, it, yeah, it takes a lot of thought, but it forces your brain yeah. to, to sort of, I mean, I've, I've got nieces who what, get subjected to CBBC and it's a monotone mm. splurge of noise, yeah. all aiming to be for the kids. Mm. And because they spit them all up onto different channels 24 hours a day or whatever, you don't, kids, I don't think get, get subjected to things which maybe might they might not understand, but which yeah. might take them away from the kids' TV yeah. and might make their brains sort of work with something. It just takes something small. Sparking their imagination. Yeah, and, and, and get them to think. There might be the turning point watching mm. something like Ghostlight where they might watch mm. it and go, what does that mean? Yeah. And even if they don't understand it, their mm. brains are engaging with it. Yeah. And they might, even if it's completely wrong, have their own theories. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of, that's what television... It shouldn't be. Pa- I hate patronising, and that's mm. what a lot of television. That's what Doctor Who did. I've got to say, as mm. much as I do like the Equistons to a point. Yeah. Watching them again now, it does strike you with the Moffat ones as well. Yeah. How much more basic and broad stroke they actually are, and they're kind of they're trying to be a bit a bit of everything. Mm. Jack of all trades, master of none. I think. Is TV the, does tend to date fairly quickly as well, doesn't it? It does, and there are there are references to. Well, that, there's a boy band person in one of them, Fear Her, wasn't it? Where 
there's a there's a poster of an X Factor or something like mm. that as a winner, mm. and I think even if you kind of know who he is at the time, yeah, give it three days, <laughs> yeah, give it three hours, you're mm. not gonna have a clue who this mm. sod is. Yeah. You know, he's just a face on the thing. And that, that joke, that moment on the screen is a complete waste of time for a future generation. Mm. Like, well, that means nothing to me. And yeah. It's trying too hard. It's the camera is effectively saying, look, there's someone <laughs> you know or you're supposed to know. And we're going, no, we don't. Tell us a story. <laughs> yeah, theatre's not exactly top of my list. But no. I do know some people who like it. Elements of it, like the scribble. I love the scribble as a mm. concept. The scribble was brilliant, and people sort of forget that when people talk about stories, they do tend to overlook things which I tend to think about. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of received fan wisdom about what, how you're supposed to feel about certain stories. Yeah, I, I've learned not to sort of no. go along with the tide. I just t- tend to view it in isolation. I watch it, and if I like it, I like it. If I don't, I don't. Exactly. That's why I tend to avoid forums these days. I don't really tend to go on those. Yeah, I mean, I used to throw myself into fandom quite a, I say quite a lot. But I used to go to conventions. I was in London for a while, so I went to mm-hmm. the tavern, the Fitzroy Tavern, oh, right, which is yeah. where you're supposed to go. Mm-hmm. I went on an offer about a year, you yeah. know, and um, lots of adventures there. I say adventures. <laughs> um, lots of mediocre <laughs> things. Lots um, of Doctor Who fans. Lots of Doctor drinking Who fans. Yeah. Some people were cool and some people weren't. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you, you, I, I think with nerdiness is when it's it's funny as a nerd, it's always other people who are nerds, aren't they? Mm, it? It's always yeah. other people who are wrong. You know, I think that's the thing about <laughs> nerdology. I think is everybody probably thinks, and it's like, I don't mean it in a bad way, but everyone's got these slightly arrogant views about what constitutes nerdiness, yeah. and I'm just as guilty as anybody else. You know, mm. I think, oh no, I laugh at them. I think it's been reclaimed to a degree. If you think back to the 80s, you had all those movies like Revenge of the Nerds and they were sort of stereotypical... Well, the thing is, is we're all nerds now. Computers have made us all nerds. I mean, the internet, when that sort of started, that was the preserve of Mm. the nerd. That was, you know, computers. Now everyone's into computers. Everyone's got computers, you know. Everyone's Mm -hmm. got internet in their kettles now you know <laughs> they could plug their door wedges into the internet and you know they'll connect to all the other door wedge users in the country and they can have door wedge forums and sessions and they can <laughs> they can talk to each other and stuff and and meet each other you know if they want to if they're feeling brave and don't put up pictures of door wedges that aren't even theirs um <laughs> <laughs> i do feel like we strayed somewhere off onto a slightly different tangent <laughs> but yeah but now we're all nerds yeah. um we're all nerds there's no mm. such thing as I mean, the thing is, is that nerds are people. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that's the thing which I think over time, I think we've all come to appreciate. I mean, when Doctor Who came back, there was a big ploy to try and make out that, you know, it's not just for sad people, honest. <laughs> but actually, Doctor Who was always for family people. The ratings were always mm. sort of, it was a family show. Yeah. And it, it was only really um, just sort of press. I think the press responsible for sort of shorthanding people who watched it. And, mm. Yeah, there were people who were unwashed and bespectacled and grubby. Mm. Um, and they're, but they're, and they're the people who go out to conventions usually, and you know that that sort of physical presence. It's a bit like when when to give a sort of broader example is when um, old people going about the youth of today, and aren't they all drunken mm. bastards? Mm. And going by what we see in the clubs. But then if you think about any town or city. You can't feasibly fit all the people who can go to clubs in those buildings. And there's lots of people you don't know about at home watching TV and reading books and doing wholesome things. Yes. You know? (laughs) But we have this perception of young people being all yobbos and stuff in the same Mm. way that we all think Doctor Who fans are all whatever and football fans are all hooligans. But, you know, it's not. There's a very small minority. Just let the side down. (laughs) Getting back to some feedback. 
Um, Sean Homerig, he's a legend. Is he? Uh, he is. He's awesome. Um, wow. If, do you love him? I do, actually, yeah. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. Do, um, do you share door wedge stories? Yeah, we do, actually. That's yeah. nice. Yeah. That's, that's cute. <laughs> uh, for those not in the know, Sean co-hosts a show, or two shows, actually. He does one called The Tardis Tavern, which is great fun. Uh, he does that with a guy called Steve. Um, kind of X-rated, so you know if you're upset by swearing, you're probably turned off by now. But uh, <laughs> but it's a great show. Um, and obviously, it's Doctor Who based. And the other one he does is the Doctor Who Book Club podcast with Eric Stadnick, who's been on the show a couple of times. And uh, he's given a little bit of feedback. So I mentioned that I've been watching... Um, Walking Dead. Walking Dead. Yeah, that's the one. That's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he says, uh, you probably know what my favourite show is. Uh, a little something with the initials DW. Do you watch? Yeah. Danger mm. Wouse. No, that's the programme. But since you brought up American dramas, I think one of the best has to be Breaking Bad. Now, that's one I haven't seen yet. Everyone I know online seems to rave about it. Uh, and he said, I watched all four seasons of that masterpiece in a heartbeat. It is to television what The Godfather is to cinema. That's pretty high praise. It is. Unless he hates The Godfather. Well, we don't know. Well, I'm guessing he likes it, yeah. (laughs) Uh, A hard-working, honest guy who gets in over his head and ends up on top. Great stuff. Oh, an American horror story. That's another thing I keep hearing about. Um, That's not too shabby as well. So those are his recommendations. There are so many shows out there. Mm. We live in an age now where... If it was the 70s, there's only about there's only about 10 shows by then that were made, which people raved about, which were classic. And nowadays, there's so many things out there. Chances are you won't have seen it. The way we watch TV is different as well, because, you know, you've got all this on-demand stuff now. So, you know, you can kind of Do you think we're drowning in stuff? Do you think we're drowning? Um, I think it's a good thing in a way, because, you know, you've, you've got sort of content available to watch whenever you want it. But I think it just means you have to be a bit more choosy about what you watch it's not like you just sort of sit down and just turn on the TV and just watch a whole channel for a night hoping that something good's going to come on you can actually pick the programming that you want rather than relying on the people organising the schedule Mm. which makes Doctor Who an even more of an oddity because because of its long standing Mm. we have to watch it through thick and thin whereas other shows we might have turned off if it was the same quality or whatever Mm. we might have Mm. you thought I'll come back when it improves. You know, we have to watch it. Even doing his darker moments, we have yeah. to go, do you know what? I've got to because I have to. And we have this thing, don't we? We have to. I had a slight wobble during um, McCoy's era. I really, really had problems with Time and the Rani and that kind of put me off for a little while. Yeah. I like, I mean, I, I can't remember, I was a very young person at the time and I don't really, I didn't really have quality control, yeah, any, any sense of this is terrible, this is good. I watched it and I liked it for what it was, you know. Mm-hmm. Tech traps, clapped, I clapped and stuff, you know. Not mm-hmm. physically, and that'd be mad. But kind of, you know, <laughs> it was monsters, that was good enough for me. Mm. Um, but with looking at that era now with hindsight, I did love the fact that it, you know, the thing about Time and Irani is it might not have worked, mm. but its heart is in the right place. And I I, that's what shines yeah. through with that. I can defend Time and Irani because when you think about Trial of a Time Lord, which was very stodgy, mm. intensely long and rep- repetitious and flawed. Mm. Time Nirani is a breath of pink, fresh air, you know? yeah. and I like that. So on I the, applaud it on those grounds. On the Blue Box podcast that I kind of appear on, which mm. is the other show, um, JR, uh, who we've mentioned already, um, really likes that season because he says, as you say, it's a breath of fresh air. 
after quite a few years of what he likes to refer to as the show eating itself, where it's kind of consumed by its own continuity and just kind of alienating your casual viewer, mm. they've gone completely opposite direction, tried to come up with something new and different, even if it doesn't necessarily work straight off the bat, mm. but they're trying something but different. I think it settled down quite quickly. I mean, the thing about season 24 is that people talk about it as one entity mm-hmm. in a way that they don't talk about other seasons like that. With season 24, where people slag it off, it's, oh, season 24, can't watch any of it. No one would ever no. watch season 13 and, and sort of, you know, put, put um, I don't know, Android Invasion or, mm-hmm. or Hand of Fear in the same bracket as, um, you know, they, they kind of distinguish between the stories a lot more. Mm-hmm. Season 24, it's always spoken of as season 24. Mm-hmm. People don't seem to be able to differentiate the subtleties between no. Paradise Towers. And there are subtleties and brilliance brilliant sort of differences between all those stories in that one season but it's seen as one entity because there are some people who really can't get over even nowadays years after the event you still you'll still read a comment from an irate fan who can't let it go well that's the thing with the dvd releases is because they're not releasing them in series order Mm. it does give you if you're coming at it completely afresh you're getting to see them perhaps with different eyes than perhaps somebody who was watching at the time Mm. and you can judge each story on its merits rather than as you say, lumping it into a season. And people do with season, as I say, in, in, in a way that people don't really tend to do with a lot of other sort of pr- seasons before that. Mm. You know, people appreciate that in any season there are different stories, but people find it hard because they can't see beyond the sort of the brightness and the glitteriness and Sylvester McCoy. And mm. it's as if, you know, they're all the same, they're all equally bad, when mm. I, I think that's a bit unfair because Paradise Towers, if that had been the first story, perhaps we might not have this kind of season 24 lash really yeah like maybe we might have be a bit perhaps be a bit more just but i think time Nirani is a bit of a stumbling block for some yeah. people which takes yeah. presumably the entire era pretty much <laughs> uh, it's, quite a, it's quite a big effect really well yeah. i felt um i came back into it really more towards the end mm. on the original run and i really liked what i was seeing and unfortunately just it sounded i mean it's a bit of a cliche now but they were just starting to get things right again and mm. they decided to cancel it yeah, which that was a, that, the very year that they cancelled it was when I started to become and I officially considered myself to have started being a fan because mm. that was when I coincidentally started to get the videos. Yeah. So for me, I, it timed it quite well in the sense that mm. you know I could watch the videos when, yeah. when there was nothing on TV. So you wanted your fix. So, so I, I got I actually get my fix naturally anyway. Mm. So it, was, it timed it well. So yeah, twenty odd, twenty six years worth of. Yeah, what archive to go them. back over. Yeah, yeah, and that was wonderful. And and I think that's the wilderness years. Um, if it hadn't been for the videos and the new stuff that we could see, perhaps I would have felt it a lot more. But luckily, mm. I didn't mm. because you had sort of invented the Cybermen and or, you know the Pertwees and all that mm-hmm. kind of thing, which it was like a whole other world, really. Yeah, it was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Never forget that. So one thing that I kind of, if I'm thinking of what makes someone nerdy or nerdish it's obviously you've got that obsessive side of things but it seems quite common a lot of people who are of that sort of frame of mind tend to be collectors what do you what do you collect um i've in my time i've probably collected bits of everything mm. like especially the wilderness years when i started there was yeah. obviously no new doctor who so it was videos and, and so I, I obviously bought videos and, mm-hmm. and that was a necessity in my in its own way Bought, started buying Doctor Who magazine around that time. Mm. Um, 
while later there were the, the, the new adventures books came out yeah. and I started reading those mm-hmm. and then eventually there were audio plays which I started buying yeah. or you know keeping up with mm-hmm. quite fastidiously and in each case I stopped after a while because it wasn't what I wanted mm. in each case with the big finishes I got through about I don't know 15 audios yeah. and then decided no I just reached reach that point where I enjoyed some of them yeah. on certain levels, mm. but it, it's something I, I wasn't really happy with them as a form, mm. and they weren't what I wanted, so I stopped them. Same with the books as well. The books were novelty, yeah. they were distraction. Mm-hmm. They were fun in their own way, and compared to other TV tie-ins, the books w- were good. But yeah. eventually, you know, after reading you know, 20 books or whatever, then thought, no. Well, the thing with Big Finish now, I like some of the stuff that they produce. Um there's just such a huge variety now. You've got all these different ranges. This is the problem. There's no way you can keep up with well, it. Well, um, uh, we'll talk about being drowned in culture mm. and what we're saying about the American TV series. There's just too much stuff out there. and some We shouldn't really be good. moaning, should we? Because, you know, for a long time, <laughs> we didn't have any Doctor Who. So, But if, if everything was to continue at the rate it is now, mm. a child born 20 <laughs> years from now will have so much stuff they will have to to keep up with all the history, yeah. if, and if they like all the books and the mm, plays, mm. they will they will be constantly wired in <laughs> yeah. to Doctor Who on a constantly to, just, mm. to, just to try and manage, to, to try and take in the entire canon. Yeah. And this is why this when people talk about what's canon and what isn't, mm. canon really should really we'll, we'll come to a point when canon will consi- will be considered to be what a person can conceivably stomach yeah. of any one <laughs> form that. You know, in their in, in their regular day to day lives, mm. because canon will be dictated by the volume of material. Because we can all read a pot noodle book. <laughs> you know, we can all we can all read something small like a Target book because they're so small and dainty. But you know, if it was just the Target books, it would have been fine. You know, but but there's just too many. There's too many plays. Yeah, it's like 160, 170 big finishes at the time of recording. Yeah, yeah. and um, you know that's a lot. Mm. And also, it's a financial outlay as well. I yeah. mean, this is the thing as well is. Um, you know, when you've got books that are between five and ten pounds a throw. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, some of the um, the Virgin novels now, because yeah. they're out of print, particularly ones towards the end of the run, because they only made them in relatively low numbers. Mm. They are going for a song on eBay. Absolutely. And the sad thing is, that, the sad thing is, I wonder how many of them are properly read mm. and not bought as merely as investments. Yeah. Which is a sad thing as well. Is that that would be a shame. It doesn't matter what's inside the book. It's the fact that it's Long Barrow or something like mm. that, and. Therefore, I can command three times, three times the price I paid for it. I must confess, as you may notice, looking around my living room, which mm. you, dear listener, can't see, but um, I did go a bit crazy on the old uh, Doctor Who figures when they first I, started. I went there out. as well. Again, yeah. it's a bit like everything else, you know. I, I mm. dabbled with it and got yeah. so far, but then reached critical mass. Yeah. And I thought, well, what am I doing? Mm. I've got enough figures. Uh, I, I collected up to. I mean, it helped because I, because because the figures started becoming rubbish with mm. the Leela figure. There were, there, there were different sculptors and different manufacturers mm. coming on to help produce these things. And um, that, that enabled me to quite to reach that point where I could go, no, no, it's a, it's a natural point to stop. Mm. And that was quite convenient, really. And I think the Perry figure was the last one I bought, the Perry and right, Sil figure. Yeah, yeah. And they were good. And I, I can stop now quite happy. Really. Yeah, and I stopped a couple of years ago just because... I've only got a finite amount of space in my living room and as much as I love them, I don't really want to be tripping over the things and they're fun to collect, but... Um, yeah, when, you know, how many do you need to get? This is the question. I think the thing is as well, it's almost like 
kind of trying to make up for when you were a kid. Mm. You would have absolutely killed to have had these really cool little figures, and they yeah. obviously didn't do them at the time, or if they did, they weren't very good. Um, yeah, shoddy. Yeah, whereas now you can get these really cool little figures, so it's kind of like reclaiming that part of your childhood that you might have missed out, yeah. on, possibly. But, but I think there was initially, that is initially, and also the fact that they, they, they just look good as models, essentially. Mm. You know, They just look good for what they are. Yeah. But I think there comes a point with a lot of things where you perhaps wake up one day and go, and just, and just question it. Mm. And I think that's what I've done with a lot of things, really. And over the years, because cause I'm aware that potentially you, you can drown in it mm. and you can buy so much stuff and you're never going to properly enjoy it because there's just so much of it. Yeah. And you've got to be selective. And yeah. what's happened with me now is I've effectively, I buy the DVDs when they come out. Mm-hmm. and um, But really, I, I don't really buy anything anymore i don't really go to conventions or anything like that anymore mm. like i used to it's like i get bored of things or, or i realize that i've had my fill it's done yeah. what it's set out to do mm-hmm. I've, I've had my read of the books yeah you know it tickled my sort of fan wank side of me who wants to read about what happened to morbius afterwards or whatever yeah and um so it's a fleeting thing it's a very than... fleeting yeah it's yeah. fleeting and it's also self-awareness i think of just mm. what these things are and there's a conveyor belt thing yeah. to them as well which I think you become aware of as well because the more stuff you buy mm. I think you start to be aware that they are done as part of a system yeah. that is, I know it sounds a bit cynical but designed to make money mm. you know you are paying Mark Strickson's I mean, laundry bills <laughs> you are paying for sculptors who sculpt things you know you're paying for their you know tuition fees for their kids you know mm. and there is a sense of them cutting corners and making more money by putting these elaborate sets together that don't well, make any sense. I quite like Mark sense. Strickson, so I'm quite happy. To oh, I just picked the name at random. Yeah. Sorry, Mark Strickson, if you're listening to this, but you're not really, are <laughs> no, you? No, very unlikely. Very unlikely. I think that sparked off the action figures has got to be Star Wars, really. I mean, that for me yeah. as a kid, that was one of the things that you were desperate to have. Desperate. And funny enough, we've got a bit more feedback here. Oh, uh, yeah, John home. Hood, uh, who's a fellow Exeter resident, um, Star Wars was the first film he ever saw. Hmm. And that inspired him to pursue a career in the media industry. So he said, shortly after seeing Star Wars, I bought an Hitachi portable tape recorder as a Christmas gift from my mum and dad. Um, so that obviously started his interest in recording and that side of things. And he actually got to work with uh, Garrick Hagen, who played Biggs in Star Wars. And you were pointing out earlier that he's actually been in a, a few Doctor Whos. Yeah, he was he was Kai in um, New Mut- The Mutants, and yeah. he was in A Town Called Mercy mm-hmm. the other day, yeah. the other week, mm-hmm. as a faceless character. I don't know his name. Never, <laughs> never will. <laughs> yeah, so that was in a, a Radio 4 play, uh, which also starred Christopher Lee. Mm. So that obviously sparked his imagination, and that kind of got him to where he was, which is quite interesting. Apparently his aunt bought him an R2-D2 figure in Exodus Pram and Toy Shop. Do you remember that? It's going back a bit. I, I bought an R2-D2 in there once uh, as well. To get yeah. to school and lost it. I threw oh, it the no. Tree. We, used to, we used to stand underneath a big oak tree and, and spin them up in the air. Right. And I and once or one day I threw... It was, was like C-3PO. I threw him up in the air. It never came down. It's a sad, sad story. It's a very sad story. Mm. Well, apparently okay. John's got hundreds of figures, so he might be able to sort you out. Do oh, you, you know what? I don't care. Yeah, this is the thing as well about um, what's going to say. What's I going to say? You, you made a point earlier on about <laughs> something, and I completely forgot. Um, yeah, about um, the, the, what Doctor Who does. Mm. There are different types of nerds and different types of fans. Yeah. and I think there are fans who obviously listen to these things and get wrapped up in the continuity of it, the story. Mm-hmm. And there are fans who treat it as a bit of entertainment. Yeah, that kind of spurs them perhaps 
they, they step away from it and can see it from a different angle mm. and use it to further their own creative enterprises. Yeah. And for me, that's, what's a, what, that's what I love about Doctor Who is that a lot of people in the industry really you know were inspired by it i think a lot of doctor who fans are quite creative people yeah you get that impression from sort of chatting to people online certainly the, 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 and, and, and because it is and it also teaches you about a bit of everything mm. i mean a lot of because doctor who is is a television show that's ex- exhaustively researched mm. we know every aspect of it we know about how tv studios were run yeah obviously not how that we know more about them now mm. with the recent jimmy savile thing but back, well yeah but back then we kind of knew about sort of in a very technical sense about how tv studios functioned and cso and record, yeah. how things were recorded mm. so we had uh, and it, then it bleeds into an, an interest in archive television cult mm-hmm. television it's, 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 it's a stepping stone yeah and it informs really so much because because it covers from the 60s to, yeah. the, to now mm. there's so much television styles varieties mm-hmm. there's different references different types of aspects to every production yeah and you can't help but learn stuff that perhaps you might not have previously been mm. on the job and you get exposed to so much some of it's crap but some of it's quite interesting <laughs> yeah. and um along the way and, and it kind of fires you up and i think a lot of people probably think oh i'd love to be involved with painting people's faces green mm. or you know or putting continuity references into <laughs> dramas which would, would, would work perfectly fine without me <laughs> um so it kind of inspires people and i like that mm. So yeah, it certainly inspired me to. I I like writing, and I like, um, you know. um, And you've written professionally, haven't you? I used to be a critic for a magazine, and Mm -hmm. I've written lots and lots of. uh, As a student, I've done stuff, and um, nothing of note. But uh, yeah, I think you're doing yourself a disservice. Ah, magazines. To be honest, nowadays, and writing for a magazine, everyone does it. You know, it's not really. Hi, Jr. Hi, Jr. Yeah, but perhaps yeah. Get twenty years ago, if you wrote for a magazine, mm. it's a bit like it was a special thing, perhaps. But mm. nowadays, sort of in the last ten years, it's lost a lot of its because everyone's a critic now. Everyone mm. can can. Blog oh, the rise of the blog. Thing. I mean, that's and those podcasts—they're everywhere. I know they? they're really annoying, aren't they? God, people shit blog podcasts <laughs> out. You know, ten to the dozen. Who do know? these people think they are? You know, people, people go to the bathroom in the morning and do their teeth and. You know, when they walk out, they say to the they say to the missus, oh, I just did a podcast in there as well, you know. And, is that what the smell is? I've left the window open. <laughs> left the window open. People do podcasts, you know, in their sleep nowadays, mm. you know. And there's, everyone's a critic, so there's nothing special about it nowadays. Oh, is that Carl again? <laughs> what was I going to say? Yeah, that's it. Anyway, yes, yeah, so the most nerdy thing I've done, what mm-hmm. I've done in the past sort of, year i suppose is um finishing off a project i started that decade ago Mm -hmm. which was to do recons of doctor who stories now this is uber nerd territory this is super this is the most nerdy thing as much as i've been defending myself as someone who doesn't buy anything (laughs) with the logo stamped on it i decided to make my own stuff with the logo it's all about this is what it's this is the money yeah (laughs) this is me coming out and saying yeah i sat i've sat down with the soundtracks the bbc radio Mm -hmm. collection soundtracks a whole bunch of telly snaps, Windows media thingy, Bob Doodah. Just off the top of your head, how many hours do you think you spent doing these recons? Oh, I could have had so many proper relationships with women, <laughs> children. <laughs> I could have, I could have started circuses. I could have moonwalked. I could have, I could have, I could have tamed lions. I could have crossed the channel in a in a canoe. I could have done proper things. People mm-hmm. think people. The people 
things that people will clap when you, when you say that. You say you've done a recon and people look at you. Well, not that I've ever told anybody because <laughs> I'm quite I'm aware, I'm very self-aware about how this might sound. But it's, it's yeah, doing a recon is seriously, even when I was doing it, I knew it was sad. It was pitiful. <laughs> I hated every second of it because it's such a labour-intensive process. You sit down with a load of pictures you try and sequence them, you, you cross-fade, you jump-cut, you perhaps even tweak the image, move it across to give it some sort of life. So do you actually um, like the end result? I mean, you must do, otherwise... You I love spend the end result, this, but yeah. getting there, it's a bit like, you know, it's a bit like doing something long... It's like, it's about, it's about like doing the washing up. Mm. You know, you'd love to have clean dishes, but standing at the sink isn't something you want to do. And so what, obviously, coming at it from a recon point of view, what do you think of the animations that they're... I, producing. I love them, but mm. that still didn't stop me from in this batch doing. I, I did. Um, I did all the ones. Basically, about ten years ago, I did a load of recons, mm. and I stopped doing them because I hated doing it. Yeah. So I only did half of them, and then very recently, I lightweight. Yeah, I know I'm a lightweight. <laughs> um, and this time round, I thought I was just going to finish them off because I didn't want to have proper DVD. Because as you know, I don't know if anybody knows, but but recons tend to be. 10th generation VHS bootlegs. Yeah, which, pretty poor quality. Yeah, very poor quality. Um, and I wanted to have DVD or as good a quality as possible, so I thought, mm. do my own. Yeah. Therefore, you know, it's one of those, if you want a job done properly, do it mm-hmm. yourself. And I did it myself. And I spent each episode, there's about 72, 70 to 72 episodes, I can't, I can never remember the figure. Mm-hmm. And each one probably took me about five hours to do. Wow. And... That probably that doesn't take into account going back and revisiting to tweaking them because, you know, you you, you watch bits of them again and think, yeah, oh, that's that could flow a bit better. That could or... flow a bit better, and it, it really it's sort of, I wanted to do it as well because it opens your mind as to how other people have, have done recons. Yeah, you get an appreciation and of, of mm. what is missing. Yeah, with, because not every scene is covered by in a recon. Mm-hmm. Every episode, there's usually one scene or one half of a scene yeah. for which no visual record exists. Mm-hmm. So you have to... Oh, I did in my case was I faded to black. Yeah. A lot of other fans will try to put another head in. You know, they'll have another character, yeah. you know, an, another screenshot in an attempt to, tr- to try and keep the narrative, the visual flow going. Yeah. Whereas I wanted something authentic. Mm-hmm. I haven't bothered with having credits with 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 you know faces one's episode two on it you know as a proper credit sequence because life's too short. <laughs> I'm not going to sit there and recreate the end credits using the right font. Um, well, that sounds like a very slapdash approach. No, no, I Peter. wanted to do an authentic version, which was just the soundtrack from the BBC, which is narrated, so I didn't mind the narration. Mm-hmm. With the pictures that rep that, that cover the scenes involved. Yeah, I, obviously I cut between the, the images for each scene, mm-hmm. try and give it some sort of flow try and make it fit logically mm. to tell the story and um yeah if, if there's a moment a visual moment which isn't conveyed and which lasts for a while mm. i simply don't show it yeah so then then you know what's missing from a story as well which yeah. is quite interesting as well yeah. because i mean i did i did the marco polo mm. ones recently which um which i really was a highlight of it because as recons go that's a very because because they haven't been made available mm. you know the uh, the telly snaps on the bbc website on the right. you know, which is where I got the taste stamp from originally. Mm-hmm. Managed to find these hook or buy crook and it was lovely to do. And then I, I went onto YouTube or something just to see if someone else had done a Marco Polo recon yeah. and somebody had. Oh, right. And then I watched the last that's right, the very last scene of episode seven, mm-hmm. there's a slight montage bit where with Marco Polo and this is something which which is very nerdy, 
there are more telly snaps for those for each episode of Marco Polo than for your average Doctor Who episode. Right. For your average Doctor Who episode, there's about 60, ep- 60 pictures that exist. With Marco Polo, there's about 70. So you get an extra 10 images per episode. And in the very last bit of the very last episode, there's too many images. And I mean, occasionally you get this, where you've got too many images and you're spoiled. And it's right. like, I prefer, to have, I prefer to having one image for the entire scene. <laughs> right. I knew where I stood. But when you've got a lot of images, you have to be really canny. You have to mm. think, oh, I've got to fade. I've got to time it right. You want to be able to, to savour each image. But you can't because, cut, cut, cut. You've got to use them all in the space of 30 seconds. And that's annoying. Now, if you had the time and the resources of someone like Ian Levine, could you see yourself animating them rather than doing recons? Um, I would love to animate them, but I still think the recons have a place because they are the authentic, authentic version. I love mm. the animations. Yeah. I still will buy the animations. Mm. I, I get really excited about the animations. Yeah. But seeing the actual telly snap itself, mm. this is the nerd in me going, the nerd in me goes... That's, that's real. right. Yeah. That's what was on the screen at mm. the time. Mm. And my imagination can fill in the gaps. Yeah. I can I can imagine them moving or talking within the mm. confines of what I'm seeing. Yeah. That's good enough for me. Mm. The animations are good, but this year it didn't stop me from doing um you know uh, the Ice Warriors, Underwater Menace and Moonbase mm-hmm. and all the ones that potentially might Maybe get animated. Out, yeah. yeah. I still wanted to have those authentic versions just mm. so I can please the fanboy me who can go I can watch the original you know <laughs> and I, I, episode one of um, Underwater Menace yeah it, the recon of that is pretty effective I yeah. think and it's really quite nice you mm. know and watching that opening scene where there's a lot of images yeah it's, it, it flows quite well and I'm mm. quite I'm, I'm, I'm watching it <laughs> I'm not really but I am <laughs> and um, yeah I, I spent a long time over these things mm. I hated the process I was aware it was very fanish yeah, but I really wanted them, mm. and and I and I think they're very effective, and I think we're very lucky. It still blows me away that we have all the soundtracks. Yeah, and apart from six stories, apart from six Hartnell stories, mm. uh, f- five Hartnell stories and one Troughton, we've got telly snaps for every episode mm. practically, and I think yeah. that's brilliant. Yeah, you know there is, you know, if you go back to the Avengers or other shows yeah. where things are missing, yeah, they are missing. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just think it's incredible what we've got. There's a recon of the very first story from the Avengers mm. on the, the DVD, and they do their best with it, but it's... Um, in fact, you know, if I remember rightly, they've got the, the first reels. There's three reels for the story, so they've got yeah. the, the first reel, so you get to see the actual episode, yeah. and then it kind of just... The Andromeda release as well, um, the A, mm. A, for Androm- A for Andromeda, I think is... Out of the six episodes, I think it is, five mm. of them are telestab recons. And I think yeah. it works brilliantly. Mm. I was quite because I'm so used to seeing bootlegs of things and poor quality things. That for me was great. So when you're doing those, does that appeal to your creative side of, um, sort of... Yeah. It, it, it's a challenge mm. because you, you are thinking, I can do this, I can bloody well do this. <laughs> and you kind of delude yourself into thinking that what you're doing is, is good. But then, but then it, but then it is good because it's, it's, it's what I, what I want. I mean, there are recons available, and there are so many now thanks to you. You find yourself wearing sort of like army fatigues, like Dougie Canfield, when you're doing your editing. Or... Yeah, I promote myself with each release to give to spur me yeah. on. Okay, yeah. So by the end of it, I, I was what's the highest rank? I don't even the queen. By the end, of it, I was the, <laughs> by the end of it, I was the queen. Um, I started off as a private and then promoted myself with every recon. I should be calling you mom then, really. Should, should be calling me yeah. mom. Yeah, okay, I'm sorry. And um, <laughs> but yeah, I, um, 
Yeah, I, I watched somebody else's Marco Polo. The last few minutes of Marco Polo, I wanted to, I wanted to see how somebody else had done it. Mm-hmm. So I went onto YouTube just out of curiosity to see how they had done it. Yeah, and they used an image of Kublai Khan, right? Which means nothing to you or anybody listening. But but it's, the angle is shot from from below, <laughs> and yet at, at, at the end of the scene, Marco Polo is standing next to Kublai Khan. Mm. So directorially, you've got a wrong image of Kublai Khan yeah. cut into the last bit which was used extensively earlier on. Mm. And I think it just doesn't fit with the look of it. Yeah. So people do sort of, you know, I, I watch other people's recons now and I can go, well, that image, you've, you've used that image in the wrong context. Mm. Um, you're just trying to fill a gap. You're really. trying to fill a gap and it jumps out at you. Mm. And I think that's kind of, it's distracting when you know that it's an image from earlier on. Mm. So I do try and keep it as authentic as possible. So mine yeah. are kind of purists, this <laughs> purist nerd <laughs> recon. And um, yeah, I, I did... I did, a, I did them all, basically. Mm. I, I did every story. I've even printed out DVD covers. I've brought a copy of one for you so you can see what, yes, it's what very I've been impressive. up to. And it looks quite nice on the mm. shelf, and that appeals to the to the nerd in me. Yeah. As someone who doesn't collect everything with the logo stamped on it, mm. well, I like to think that what I do have is very sort of selective and appeals to me. Yeah. I filtered out all the rubbish, you know, all the ice makers, the TARDIS ice makers and the... And the Tegan bum bags and the, <laughs> and the Adric socks and, you know, the Vervoid hearths. I just made that one up. Because um, I saw a hearth, you see, I did that. I saw a hearth yeah, in, in yeah, Mark's room and yeah, I applied the word ver- yeah. Vervoid with it. And that's how my brain works. Um, but yeah, I, I sort of try and distinct, to, to sort of filter away all the sort of stuff which I know mm. is just fluff. It's mm. It's not going to make any... I've got the DVDs, I've got a handful of books, I've got a few other bits and bobs, I've got a few figures, and I've got a Cyberman helmet. The voice changer in it and everything. Which I love. That is probably the most... <laughs> I say tat, it's not tat, it's, bl- it's brilliant. Mm. The Cyberman helmet is, is one of those unsung pieces of merchandise, which at the time when I bought it, I said to you, and I said to <laughs> other people, including JR, you've got to see one of these things in real life, you will be blown away, and you are all of you, to a man, ambivalent. <laughs> You were all kind mm. of, well, none of you could see what I was getting at. And, and I never brought it. I didn't show you face to face. I should have brought it in and put it we on my head. We obviously didn't have around. your sense of wonder. The Cyberman helmet, people who have one will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> when you hold it in your hands. Oh, it's By good, the handles. It? By the handles and look yeah. at it. And the, you feel it, you weigh it up. And it's, yeah. it's a chunky piece of kit. Yeah. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. 100% steel. It's not steel. No. Again, this is, if you bought one, you'd know no, what they were sorry. really made yeah. of. Okay. Um, there's no real human head inside either. No. They don't go that far. Um, but it's a wonderful... You've ruined the effect now. <laughs> ruined the effect. But it's a wonderful piece of kit. Mm. And it's one of those things that I think just just doesn't get talked about as much as it should. Obviously, Halloween's coming up soon, so is that going to get broken out of its uh, packaging and used? Um, no, no. It freaked my mum out. I'm sure because because you can't see the human features when you see one in real life <laughs> on someone's head and when someone turns their head it does look so like something on the TV because it's you can't you could be a bad actor but put but put a sideman head on and move around and you will look like a sideman mm-hmm. it's it's idiot proof you know a twat <laughs> can put on a sideman <laughs> helmet and look like a cyberman mm-hmm. you know that's how maybe I'll give it, it a try <laughs> maybe you should <laughs> but yeah. That, that's probably as, that's probably the piece of merchandise which you'd, is, is is the most fanish. I think I think that is the most fanish piece of merchandise mm. I've got in the mm. sense that it's got the Doctor Who logo on it. It was yeah. mass produced. It was sold in toy shops, 
and it serves no legitimate function in my life apart from just being there. <laughs> it's a piece of aesthetic, is what it yeah. is. I love it. We do have some very creative people that listen to this show, which mm. amazes me, frankly, because I'm a yeah, bit of you an should be doing creative things, personal exactly, yeah. You should be painting and sculpting and writing and cooking and 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 going on tours in big yellow buses, displaying your work to the local <laughs> townspeople you come across. You should be doing that. Now, there's a very nice chap called Declan May. You know, he lives in Belfast. He listens oh. to this show. Hi, Declan. Hello. Hello. Uh, and he sent what is effectively like a little mini essay. It's fantastic. All right. Um, so it's, it's entitled My Nerdish Obsession. So he says, um, perhaps well outside the realms of what is normally considered a nerdish or geeky subject or topic, but I have for the past eight years or so had an absolute and all-consuming obsession for the work of Dirk Bogard. Wow. Mm. It all began when I was living in France. See how he just yeah. shoehorned that in, yeah. Uh, and in a second-hand bookshop in the centre of Paris, I came across two volumes of Dirk Bogard's autobiography, An Orderly Man and Snakes and Ladders. Uh, having had up to then own, an only passing and abstract notion of who Dirk Bogard was, I knew he was an English actor, I bought these books with no real foreknowledge or expectations. It was as much a surprise to me uh, that having read both books in two days, I was absolutely ravenous for more. And he goes on to say, uh, fast forward to the present day, I have multiple editions of each volume of Dirk Bogard's memoirs. He wrote ten volumes. Wow. Wow. That's some going. Uh, including signed copies, foreign translations and audiobooks. That's hardcore. Wow. I'm surprised yeah. Big Finish haven't adapted them. Well, give it time. Uh, I also own several editions of each of his six novels. I didn't even know he wrote oh, novels. Yeah. Uh, I have on VHS and DVD copies of most of the films he appeared in, about 60 of them. Uh, collected old 1950s and 1960s film magazines featuring him. Have various versions on vinyl and tape and CD of the album he recorded actual original film scripts he worked on, letters and postcards he wrote, movie posters, critical studies, radio and TV interviews. Absolutely no idea why I'm so intrigued by Dirk Bogard, except for the fact that he seems to me to sum up the idea of the Renaissance man and the old-fashioned English gentleman. His vast body of work in film, essay and literature means that there's a massive archive of material. Um, and to be perfectly honest, I absolutely adore going through it all and enjoy the thrill of finding new stuff. I suppose the pinnacle of my obsession with Dirk Bogard is that I wrote a radio play about a part of his life that thankfully has been commissioned. It just goes to show that even the oddest nerdish obsessional pursuit can bear fruit. Imagine if in that bookshop there'd been autobiography of Noddy Holder. Exactly, it could have all been, been so different. different it could have been, it could have been. <laughs> wow, Dirk Bogard. Yeah, wow. thanks for that Declan, that was awesome. That's a mastermind subject right there, mm. isn't it? So yeah. That's the thing about our nerd obsessions. Yeah. Is that they're kind of very often they can be very commonplace mm. in inverted commas. Mm. And Doctor Who, everyone could do Doctor Who, you know, but Dirk Bogart is yeah. it's nice to have one that's obscure or bit sort of off the wall. Yeah. Rather than one that everyone knows about because everyone knows about Doctor Who and could go on and talk about Doctor Who and because it's so prevalent. Mm. But Dirk, Dirk, that's, that's, it's nicely done. It's almost worth trying to root out something really obscure. Well, it's funny I can come across something that you perhaps haven't encountered before and you kind of you'll watch it so for instance we did a show earlier in the run about i claudius mm. which i'd never seen before and um just you know, had the urge to watch it and i thought it was the most fantastic piece of television it is absolutely wonderful um and it kind of spurs you on to watch other things you might not necessarily have watched before or read or you know whatever it might be i mean in a way 
archive television is when he where, when was it Declan was yeah. was, was talking about the fact that he, Dirk Bro Dirk Bogard has done so much. Mm. That's a bit like archive television. There's so much out there. Yeah, you almost feel like it's a bottomless well. So you know that you can get wrapped up in it, and mm-hmm. you know that you probably can't get bored of it because there's too much. You know, it's a it's a bit like you know you don't get if I don't know. I'm trying to think of a really short lived TV series. I don't know. Um, Something like if Faulty Towers or something. Faulty Towers. If you were a fan of Faulty Towers and really obsessive about mm. it, there's not that much stuff out there. No. Where you know you, there'd be you know the, the DVDs, script books, John Cleese autobiography, and a few other biographies of the main cast, mm-hmm. and then it would stop. Yeah. Then you'd have to move on because because unless your brain can't continue to reread mm. these things without mm. going mad, but the fact is there's just so much out there. I mean, maybe this is why Big Finish. You know, will continue forever. Yeah. Because there will always be people out there who will just. They've got an appetite more. for that particular. And it just won't stop. Yeah. Which is well, it's nice if you can do it, I suppose. But I, th- I think because uh, with me, the TV series is enough. Mm. Had this TV series not come back, I might mm. have been swayed to stick with Big Finish yeah. in, a, in a bigger way. But funny enough, I actually listened to um, BBC Four Extra showing. Yeah. They occasionally have. They occasionally, and yeah. I dipped into. I've just started listening to Cobwebs. Yeah, Peter Davison one. Peter Davison one. Yeah. And I listened to it. It's the first big finish I've heard properly in, mm. in, in a good few years now. Yeah. And um, listened to the first episode of that. And it kind of encapsulated why I like Big Finish mm. and why I don't. Okay. Because on the downside, get the downside out of the way first, mm. it ends like the Space Museum, the, the first the first cliffhanger. They find yeah. themselves dead, yeah. possibly past or future, yeah. in a room, mm-hmm. you know. And I thought instantly thought, it's just basically space. Space Museum meets Terminus. That's mm-hmm. what it felt like as a tone as well. But it, but what I liked was they they also started using the new the credits for the right Doctor. Yes, didn't they? that's right. They didn't used to do that. No, no. That threw me. <laughs> I, I started listening to it, and when I heard, when you hear the Peter Davison credits, yeah. that makes you go, ooh. ooh. <laughs> it kind of does add a bit of authenticity to it. Yeah. And you can fool yourself into thinking that it's the same people. Mm. But Mark Strickson has got a slightly Australian accent. Yeah. Peter and Davison's voice has got a Jan- bit more gravelly. Yeah, and... Janet Fielding hasn't got the Australian accent in quite the same <laughs> way, so they've kind of switched. That's an odd thing going yeah. on right there. Nissa sounds the same, yeah. because Nissa's character was quite dull and tedious anyway. <laughs> but no reflection were... on Sarah Sutton, who's lovely. No, no, no. But Nissa is a very dull character, and her and her, yeah. as she's become older, it hasn't really changed the kind of dull, <laughs> monotone, drab voice that she has it kind of it, it fits I think she's been given a bit more to do in the big finish they've had to that's that self awareness that's that modern touch of we've mm. got to make these relevant to a new Nissa loving audience you know, <laughs> we've got to make Nissa relevant somehow <laughs> it, but she will never be relevant she will always be locked in the sort of 1980s early 1980s time warp I mean when I listen to them I mm. you know you do listen to them as as something like I don't know Fort to Doomsday or you know yeah. you kind of picture the visuals in a yeah. kind of grey cardboard background mm. um, you know bright studio light well, if you actually go to the Big Finish webpage, um, and I think they do it on the, the back of the CD covers as well, mm. they actually tell you where in the continuity this story appears. It they will say do, this yeah. is between this story and this story. And so, I, I worked it out. I didn't even have to look. <laughs> I worked out pretty quickly. It's between nerd. Terminus and Enlightenment. And I, <laughs> I, the clues were there for yeah. me to pick up. And I solved it. Mm. Um, but yeah, cobwebs. It's, um, it's listening to these things, which I used to listen to, but I... The thing is, is the thing about Big Finish is that I listen to a lot of radio dramas, mm. and they tend to be written with a bit more. I don't want to sort of mean this in a bad way, but mm. the people who write Big Finishes write primarily for Doctor Who rather than radio. Yeah, they're not. They're, they're they trying to replicate eighties TV. 
80s to 80s TV, but they don't mm. have the skill of a radio writer because because they're book writers, novel writers, fantasy mm. writers. They are predominantly radio writers, and they don't mm. seem to have. Sometimes they can be very clunky because characters will say they'll describe things right. in a really obvious way, and that mm. sort of um, sort of basil exposition, e- basil exposition, that's yeah. the one. And that is very noticeable, mm. and it's a shame really that, that perhaps they can't write. Write it first as a radio play, which which is a Doctor, which is Doctor Who related, hmm. and still keep it as authentic as possible, but yeah. not try and crowbar in these very sort of dodgy. Look, it's got eight legs and loads of fangs and two <laughs> giant red eyes atop some beats, some stems. <laughs> you know that's what they do, and mm. you can hear you can hear the clunk of the script as it tries to wedge <laughs> those things in, and it's a, it makes you shiver and go. Ugh. Now you listen to Radio Four Extra, I do. so I'm guessing you probably we were talking earlier. You and I are big fans of um, Just a Minute. Just a Minute, absolutely wonderful. The show. British institution. Anyone overseas, perhaps who hasn't heard it, um, if you go onto iPlayer, I think I'm right in saying um, iPlayer is region locked for TV, but I think you can access all the radio programs wherever you are. Um, and it's a I, great show. I know there are ways and means. Yes, yes, there are naughty ways of doing it. Yes, Somebody, we don't endorse those. No, we of don't course. endorse them. But no. then, if you're desperate and want to want to show allegiance to a great radio institution, which you wouldn't mm. be able to pay for anyway, Mm-mm. legitimately, so you're yeah. not going to lose out on any money. So now you can listen so. to those shows through the iPlayer without having to do yeah. anything naughty. But yeah, it's a great show. It's a great show, and. Um, I suggested maybe that we do a just a minute one day, get a load of us together, oh, and, and it would mean Mark would have to put in a lot of thought and effort into. Yeah, that never happens. That you know, this is kind of relaxed. We're chatting mm. away. Well, I'm doing a lot of talking because I'm just bursting with a load of crap. To <laughs> um, I I, I, I had a. One, you see, so I've got to get it all out now. Yeah, I had to do a radio show a while ago, and somebody decided it would be a good idea to spring a Doctor Who quiz on me, and it didn't go very well. I made it. I sounded like a complete numpty. Were you revealed to be the hollow... Exactly, <laughs> exactly, yeah, the facade dropped away. But yeah, Just a Minute is a fantastic programme. Yeah. Describe it to anyone who hasn't heard it. Yeah, it's, it's a show which is very rare with a lot of radio. In that it's, it's, it's not scripted. A lot of radio is sort of heavily scripted, you know, because obviously they have to pay attention to the medium and it's, it's very orchestrated. It's very... Because most speech radio is done through the BBC... It's all very mannered, very controlled. But Just mm. a Minute is a free-falling show. We've been going for years. Kenneth Williams... 1967, was, I think it started. 1967. Kenneth Williams joined after about a year and mm. kicked some life into the show. And it mm. was just a show where people just let off and talk for a minute without repetition, deviation or hesitation mm. and about any subject under the sun in the most wittiest, interesting, mm. desperate way possible. And they have some great people on that show. They actually listened to the, the pilot. They had that on 4 Extra the other day. Yeah. So I listened to that, which was quite fun. But yeah, I mean, you got people like um, Sigmund Freud. Yeah. Um, uh, no, not Sigmund Freud. Oh, I'm talking Freud. about Clement Freud. It's not that old. Well, <laughs> it's a bit so, of a Freudian yeah. slip, there, wasn't there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it writes nice. itself. Yeah. So Clement Freud, um, Paul Merton yeah. is uh, the sort of the the modern genius of that program. Yes. He got me listening to radio actually because. I started listening to the radio in early 90s and I knew from Have I Got News For You that you contributed to Just A Minute mm. and started listening then to, to Just A Minute through Paul Merton mm. and he, so I loved all that. And, mm. and in a way, radio is an interesting thing because radio is a nerdy thing as well. I yeah. mean, in a way, 
I'm quite surprised sometimes with how many people do listen to the radio mm-hmm. and listen to things like Just a Minute. Yeah. The people who you wouldn't normally associate with listening to the radio turn around and they don't about, I'm sorry, I have no clue, or these mm. other programmes. Yeah. But I always associate the radio as being a very nerdy thing because it's a bit, it's a bit like Doctor Who. You tend to watch it on your own, or you did once upon a time. Yeah. Anyway. Doctor Who is a very solitary pursuit. A lot of mm. nerdy things, genuinely, are things you can't do with a group of people. Yeah. I think there's a perception that's why it's sad. But with radio, you know, really you have to listen to it by yourself or mm. with headphones on or yeah. in a darkened room. You know, you, you can't listen to it with a group of people mm. sitting around listening to the radio. It doesn't happen. No. So automatically, I always, I always associate radio mm. with being, it being nerdy. And it isn't really. At least I don't think it is. But no. it is in a curious way. It's very odd. I'm not, not quite sure how nerdy radio is nowadays. <laughs> You know, it, it, but it is, and I think in a way, the big Finnish ones, the big Finnish plays. I do wonder how many people are like. I would love to know their sales figures because I'm just curious to know how mm. often people do listen to them and yeah. what kind of community there is. Because mm. there's always pockets of people who subscribe to these things and really love. I think that's one thing about Doctor Who fandom. It's so diverse. I mean, you've got yeah. people who are into. You know, you talked about conventions. You've got people who are into cosplay, so they like yeah. the whole sort of creative designing of costumes and all that kind of stuff. You've got people who do sort of uh, fanfic and that sort of element of it. You've got Deviant Art, um, which is a web page where people can you know, show off their creative talent at, at drawing and that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and you know, there's a huge, huge, vast array of different strands of fandom. Yeah, and I think this is what separates us from Star Trek fans because I, I, Star Trek fans I've known down the years tend to be very into. The world, it's the world of Star Trek itself that mm. fascinates them. Mm. They will talk about federations like it's real. I think mm. with Doctor Who, because it's a bit cuddly and a bit stupid, yeah. and it's got a lot of variety, mm. and because the continuity is all over the place, yeah. and everyone's got their own idea of what is... You know, Star Trek has that as well. Like they, Star Trek fans hate William Shatner and, and that era, yeah. whereas the rest of the population like it because it's fun yeah. and colourful and stupid. Yeah. And um, I think with Doctor Who, is because it's so vast, it... So many people, because it is a family show, mm. and, it, and, it, and it's kind of was successful from the beginning, unlike Star Trek. And it had a, we see, we, we say fan base, really, we mean audience. You know, it's audience of members of the public. You know, mm. it wasn't, it wasn't pigeonholed. It was for everyone, and I think with Doctor Who as well, having its archive wiped, so we have to listen to audio. Yeah, you know what's left of these stories and telly snaps and. Mm. And because the, the because the way the BBC works in terms of releasing merchandise, releasing videos, we've only just, we've only just now we're sort of approaching the end of the DVD range. Yeah, other series will release them all on box sets quickly, mm. chuck them out, make their money, and leave. You know that's what they do. Yeah, with Doctor Who, we're quite in the fortunate position of having so much stuff that's been laboured over by a lot of dedicated fans. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's so many scraps of things and ep- odd episodes and animations. Yeah, we kind of have to adapt. And the wilderness years as well. I mean, it forced a lot of people perhaps to read, yeah, take other art forms of Doctor Who. Mm. The comics came into their own a bit more then because it was we had to take what you could get. Yeah, so we're quite a diverse bunch because we've had to survive. I think the sometimes. other thing that's different as well between Doctor Who and Star Trek. Somebody raised this on the Blue Box podcast. The other one we do, um, because they had to come up with this idea for regeneration because Hartnell couldn't continue. Mm. Um, you've got this continuity right the way through. Whereas with Star Trek, they've had to sort of reboot it each time. Mm. So you've got the next generation, or you've got Deep Space Nine, or you've got, you know, whatever it might be. Um, so, it, I don't know, it feels more connected, whereas these just feel like different versions mm. of the same show, almost. And, and, this, and this is why like, the Wilderness Years is, and the Paul McGann movie are so contentious, because mm. it is a very thin tendon 
if that's the right word, linking. I mean, they the go series. out of their way to try and shove in as much uh, sort of continuity as they can into the into the TV movie, but I'm not sure that really works in its favour. No. I mean, I think it's the thing what I was thinking about, because there's so much Doctor Who nowadays, and because everyone has their own ideas, but primarily because there is so much out there, you have to pick and choose mm. what you consider to be of worth to you. Yeah. And I think the TV movie, I, I can sit back and go, I don't need it in my life particularly. I'll, I'll have it on the shelf mm. because it's an interest as a talking point. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it's a, it, I don't lump it in with... It's a curiosity. Yeah, and I don't regard it as part of the classic run. It's not part of the new run. Mm. It's a TV movie. It's called the TV movie. Mm. It's, to me, I put it up there with the Dalek films, the 60s Peter Cushing I really Dalek like Paul McGann, and yeah. I would like to think he might get an appearance in the... 50th anniversary we don't I know I don't but see why not why not have you noticed his hair's getting longer oh really yeah see that's how much of a nerd you are <laughs> you're paying attention to the hair <laughs> of previous actors on the yeah. off chance they might come back they might do they might do you never know you, you never, never know. know but yeah again the 50th anniversary is an interesting thing because recently there's been a lot of anniversaries um, I think Top of the Pop celebrated its 50th or oh, it's going to celebrate its 50th next yeah. year um, it probably won't now. Mm. Um, but there are lots of other shows. Star Trek is 45 recently, or 46, wasn't it? James Bond. James Bond, that's the other one I was yeah. trying to think of, I was scraping around for. And there's a few other shows as well, a few other things at Centenaries. Mm. Coronation Street. Coronation Street. A few years and Emma Dale's 40, yeah. 40th as yeah. well, I think it is. Um, it, we're getting to the stage now where shows are, are getting old in a mm. big way. Like mm. we talk, we're going to start talking in decades about shows yeah. soon. That's a weird thing. Mm. But oddly, I don't, I don't care about the 50th particularly. I don't care what they do for the 50th because there's such a body of work that is... I mean, some fans really do care about this 50th, like it's the most mm. important thing in the world. I don't care. They could really stuff it up, like they did with the Five Doctors discuss. <laughs> um, I like the Five Doctors. Oh, that's a conversation for another day. Oh. I could talk for an hour about the Five Doctors. <laughs> but um, it's almost like I don't really mind because, it, as you say, Doctor Who is, is connected, but it's mm. so different as well because mm. it spans so many eras. Yeah. It's such a unique product mm. that really, it's a bit like when fans complain about the current series of Doctor Who. Yeah. It almost doesn't matter. Yeah, because it's going to be a different There'll one. There'll be another one along yeah. in a minute yeah. and it'll probably be better than, you know, you, you know the next one will probably be better yeah. than what, you know, what you have now and you'll be grateful. Mm. I mean, I, I was a big fan of the Rusty Davis era, mm. but I mm. gripped gritted my teeth. I watched, I enjoyed bits of it I, I could. And then when poor thing. I know, I know. I, I, str- I soldiered on. <laughs> and, um, but then at the same time, I'm not one of these people who then thinks that Moffat is a god and everything he does is perfect because mm-hmm. clearly, you know, there are flaws with here as well. I take it for what it is, which is a television show. <laughs> it's a t- are you listening to me, person listening to this? It's just a television show made on a conveyor belt system by lots of people who are in television and some of them have got hearts and care and some of them don't. And I don't know it's... if you can hear in the background, they're just readying Peter's special jacket that he has to wear when he has to go back. And I can hear the axe being sharpened as well in case <laughs> I don't want to get to the jacket. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting approach to it. I, I think with fandom and my, my approach to being a nerd mm-hmm. is that initially I sort of strayed into... I didn't realise I was a nerd until, I, until much later when I started speaking with other nerds mm-hmm. and started questioning my own place in this universe and then over time i kind of threw away childish things <laughs> i you know i realized what i actually like that i like the episodes themselves yeah you know there's no point in in trying to with the new series replicate the past you know like people say oh it should be like the tom baker era it should be like season seven of john mm. Perry era it should be what it is you know it should be yeah. made it should exist in its own vacuum and some people will like it some people won't People who make it, make it because they want to tell those stories and not aim it at children or old people or fans. Make it for what it is. Tell good stories. And if you go along for a, for the ride and you like it, 
brilliant. And if you don't, well, don't complain about it yeah. because you can go back to season seven and yeah. watch Ambassador of Death on a loop until your eyes bleed. Mm. And um, yeah, what, it, that's, that's, that's the beauty of the show because it's so long and it will carry on going on forever now mm. because it's like Sherlock Holmes and and uh, I don't know Sherlock Holmes and <laughs> Dracula and lots of other you know. It's an institution. Characters. Yeah. yeah characters. Yeah. Okay, we've got a few more bits of feedback here, and then I yeah. think it's getting to the point I've where... I've been talking a lot. I'm very sorry. Yeah. You're going to need a drink soon. I'm going to need a drink. <laughs> uh, Lee Rawlings, have you heard of him? Vaguely. Yeah, vaguely aware yeah. of him, yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he writes in... Um, well, first of all, uh, he's gone for sort of the literary take on it, so um, for him, um, the short story The Machine Stops by E.M. Forster is the best short story ever written for science fiction, so that's something he obsesses about. He works in a library. He does, doesn't so he? he yeah. should know. He should, he should, yeah. Uh, I read it 23 years ago and have seen the world turning into this story. I also love The Signalman by Charlie Dickens. I assume it's Charles Dickens. Yeah, he's being yeah. informed. He's so pally with He is, isn't he? Yeah. Name yeah. dropper. Charlie. Chaz. Chaz. Yeah. yeah. I really like that story. My attention span has got worse and worse over the years, but I really love that story. Is it one you've read? No. Mm, check what it out, it's it? really good. The Signalman. No, I haven't. No. Yeah, it's a short story, it's really good. Very spooky. Um, what else does he have to say? He loves Star Wars, Monty Python, Hammer Horror, mm. Spaced, Brass Eye, Young Ones. Yeah, um, pretty much some of the things that I like yeah, as well. Yeah, he goes on to his musical tastes. Mike Oldfield, oh. Jethro Tull. I love Jethro Tull, he's mm, brilliant. Mm, mm. He. He's brilliant. They. He. Well, it's they. a basic guy called, what's his, something Ian Anderson. Anderson. Ian Anderson, that's yeah. the name. So it's basically him. It's like Pink Floyd, that bloke Pink. Yeah, Iron Maiden. And Steps. Okay, not Steps. Uh, I think that's his idea of a joke there. I love all good music, but they were influential influential to me in becoming a musician. Steps? I don't know. Um, he loves Doom, the video game, because if I mentioned video games, we haven't really talked about that. But I love Doom. It's a great to, game. It gives me motion sickness, so I could never play it oh. properly. But I, yeah, I, I like another it one of my friends gets that sort of thing, the first person shoot. And it's a shame, because I love I love the idea of just You love around. killing people. I love murdering people mm. and, and not getting not, not getting done for it. Yeah, you know? that's always a bonus. bonus. So yeah, he's he's quite nerdy about sort of books and music and, and video games. Um, yeah, and he talks about not being able to sleep because his brain was ticking over from playing deathmatch games for hours on end. Right, he's probably going down a slippery slope. Though. He is a bit. His he brain bit. can't get let go. <laughs> so thanks for that, Lee. So, I shall yeah. probably speak to you. Oh, he loves the clangers as well. Well, who doesn't? Wow, yeah. It's all in the script writing in that show. I think so. It's all yeah. in the script writing. Yeah. Uh, and then there was just one last little bit of uh, feedback from, I say the best to last because he's my favourite, it's Eric Stadnick. Uh, he says, my obsessions, hmm, probably Jane Austen, Sondheim musicals, something you're already into there, Peter? Yeah? Oh, Amy's chipped in at last, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Greek tragedy, The Simpsons, good man, and Doctor Who, yeah. Uh, he's not really a, a thing person we're talking about collecting now, um, so not really, uh, but he's all about knowing way too much about the works of the artist, that sort of thing. Yeah. That's very Eric. Yeah, he's yeah. a very clever guy. Well, that's the thing about me is I, I'm very minimalist anyway. I don't like having clutter. Mm. And I, I kind of used to, but then I get reached that point where I realised what's it all for? You yeah, know, you just accumulate. There's a program recently. If anybody saw it, something like one of those "We're going to tidy your house up and throw everything away" type yeah. shows. And 
it's one that was the one with the Doctor, uh, the Doctor Who fan, and he bought oh, really? loads. There, there, there was one memorable shot where he had two or three copies of Colony in Space on DVD for no very good reason. Well, it's a classic. I mean, it's a classic. Yeah. It, it might have been the Ark, but it was one of those. It doesn't matter. Mm. But he had multiple copies. Just he bought stuff and kept them in their boxes. Yeah. And it, it was a death trap his home. And um, mm. again, it's a bit like people who eat a lot and get, carry on putting on weight and don't realise that they're suddenly the size of a small bus. <laughs> it's at what point do they go? At what point do you not go? Hmm, I, I, I've got well, I'm lucky because I'm incredibly slim. Um, you are. You yeah, are. that's the power of uh, we don't call audio. You the, we don't call you the imp for nothing. <laughs> so impish. It's true. When, when, when we're doing this, he's dancing around the table, sort of putting words in time, like pointing at us, giving us our cues. He's, he's, he's very impish. Oh, yes, that's me all over. <laughs> very impish man. Unfortunately, I think most people possibly might have seen photos of me on Tinternet, so oh, that's not true. Shattered the illusion. Yeah, sorry. So, yeah, I'm very minimalist. I don't like having loads of stuff because I'm aware of... It's got to serve a purpose mm. and you can't spend the rest of your life just throwing money at things and then just... I don't like being weighted down by so much. I mm. mean, uh, what's it? I mean, if I die, I'm just going to leave behind a big clear-up job for some poor bastard. You know, I'm not very <laughs> conscientious like that. I just think, again, again, what Eric said earlier on about, you know, it's about how you think about things and yeah. it's, as long as you've got just enough to fuel your imagination... Mm. Which is what I think Doctor Who has given me. You know, yeah. I don't. I don't need a figure of, of Scaroth, to somehow it doesn't have a connection. Have yeah. a, I'm not going to look at it and then realise I'm just. I'm not going to discover new dimensions to this character or this story. It's a great figure. It's, well, no, it isn't actually because it's not got big balls on that one. Pardon? He's, he's got a big crotch. I can't remember. Isn't it something to do with his trousers on? Um, right. I don't own that one, but it looked quite cool in the picture. Perhaps he'll take off his. <laughs> trousers and there'd be a big green mass or something like that <laughs> just like just like the end of episode one well his wife never seemed to catch on did she she wouldn't complain would she well no exactly <laughs> especially if in the dark they're all the same aren't they <laughs> yes uh, anyway on that anyway. bombshell uh, normally on these shows we tend to ask the guests uh, is there anything in particular you've been watching recently or reading or any kind of music you've been into that you can recommend for our listeners? Um, I've been listening to a lot of, um, In Our Time, a Radio 4 show. Yeah, that's one that Eric listens to a lot. Really? Yeah. Oh, me and Eric, yeah. sitting in the tree. <laughs> L-I-S-T-E-N-I-N-G to In Our Time. Yes. In Our Time is a wonderful show because, mm. again, it's that thing of it doesn't patronise you. Mm. Like a lot of television shows on history have us, you know, have people walking around, pointing at things and repeating things really obvious things like and, and these people wore hats mm-hmm. there are some people wearing hats that we filmed in a desert there they are again looking up looking up mysteriously into the sky it's all very sort of padded and very sort of yeah. within our time you can learn everything you need to know about Cleopatra within it's 30, concise. 40 minutes it's very concise it's just based on words mm. sometimes it goes a bit over your head but I, I, I love the fact that it's and also it's they put the entire history of in our time in the last few months mm. Downloadable from the BBC website, so yeah. there's many, many hours worth of every obscure subject from history. What they do is they get a panel of people, a bit like what we do, but more informed. We get a, pan- <laughs> a group of people sat round talking about, you know, Hadrian's War or whatever, yeah. and they talk about the history of it and conflicting theories if there's a bit of mystery, mm-hmm. and and it's really quite informative. And yeah. so, if after this you're inspired to listen to more intelligent people. I could do no That's better. probably not too difficult. But. <laughs> I could do no better than to recommend In Our Time hmm. as um, something really worth dipping into. And, yeah. and it's one of those shows where, cause if you go through the entire history, hmm. there's always going to be something where you'll go, I'll have that, 
oh, I might be interested in that. And before you know it, you've got the mini library. Yeah. And they are wonderful shows to have. So in our time with Melvin, Melvin Bragg, mm-hmm. Radio 4 show, but there's an archive, all pop downloadable in yeah. really quickly, and I'd recommend that. So yeah. that's what I've been listening to sort of on and off over the last sort of few months. Excellent. Um, I'd recommend that as a highbrow. Mm-hmm. I'm telling Eric, I'm preaching to the converted here. <laughs> Me and Eric, oh, we've been there. We've been there. We Hopefully there are like. other people listening apart from Eric, although we love Eric, so thank you for listening if you are listening. I, th- I think he's our most highbrow guest. Oh, uh, absolutely. Rather. I'd like to think that maybe, you know, I reckon we should have a show to, what's the most highbrow thing you do? <laughs> you know, up the kind of ante on this, you know. I, I thought you were going to say up the Kyber there for a minute. <laughs> so you've got to, you always steer it back to carry on. Don't you? That's what you do. I, I try and bring up in our time and you go, oh, that's a bit like history. Isn't that a bit like carry on films? Yeah, it's a bit like carry on films. Yeah. It was a very important uh, point in British history they were talking about in that film. They were. Yeah. But, but, but with like bum gags and stuff. Yeah. yeah. yeah Kilts. So. We destroyed that element of yeah. serious talk. I think it's probably time for us to go now. Yeah, very sorry. I've been talking a lot. Um, this is my <laughs> first time I've done the podcast. Wherever you're listening to this, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I've made your train journey worse <laughs> than it otherwise would have been. If you were listening to the headphones of a chap next to you blaring out pop music, that might have been more entertaining. But you'll never know, will you? No, you won't. Because you've, you've took a chance on... Bloody Mark's podcast again. Yeah. This is the tenth one. I'm so Nerd. sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so Thank yeah, you, Peter. That's all right. It's been very rich, isn't it? Very dense, isn't oh, it? Oh yes. God, we've covered a lot. We go off on wild tangents on this program. It, normally, I do talk a lot more bollocks. <laughs> so I, I've been trying to steer it into the realms of seriousness. Or well, maybe next time you come back, we can we can feature on on some more bollocks. Yeah. I've got a lot off my chest. Thank you very much for letting me get a lot of sort of stuff off my chest to do with the recons. Making... It's therapeutic. I spent months doing those recons. I hated every minute They're of They're coming and take, to take him away. Okay, that's it. That's it. We finish now. Lady porn. That's going to be a whole new section in Waterstones now. Lady porn. There's someone reading it at work. There's someone reading it at work because, you know, you look to your right and there's always a woman who just happens to be reading it somewhere. And um, someone said something and so she, she kind of usually reading about cock. <laughs> you know, and it, oh, it is. I was just going on off. You know, it's just making jokes about it. But And the trick is, is... Um, is the fact it's not it's got an unsexy title and that's how it gets under mm. the radar. That's, that's what makes a book sort of. Yeah. I mean, if it was sort of really obviously erotic, yeah. that would be bad. But Future Shades doesn't. It's like paint, you know. Mm. That's what it's about, you know, something yeah. like that. <laughs>